If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, we bumped you a little for half an hour because I had Aaron O'Toole on. The I gave up my leader. spot for Aaron O'Toole. Hopefully, Aaron O'Toole appreciates that. Only time he could do. So we wanted, to get, we wanted to get him on because he's in B.C., he's campaigning. The election has not been called officially, but the campaign is on. I mean, Trudeau was here last week with a bag of money. Now O'Toole, he's fanning. He's, doing, he's hitting a lot of places in B.C. Yeah, he's off to Penticton, I think he told you. Yeah. He's, he was on the island. Great to see politicians out and about. Frankly, yeah, uh, we saw Justin Trudeau here. We saw Jugmeet Singh was on the island last week. Justin Trudeau was in the Tri Cities in Surrey. Sure, he was carrying bags of cash, but before uh, you basically saw them on your computer screen. I mean, there was no person to person. So this is an example of as we open up, there's more um, traditional politicking going on. So Aaron O'Toole, great. He spoke to the Richmond Chamber of Commerce um, a couple of, uh, yesterday. Uh, you're going to see him uh, traveling BC increasingly. Uh, this is a place where the Conservatives have the most seats, 17 seats compared to the other parties. And it's going to be a challenge for them to hang on to those seats. I think there's a couple of them won by fairly narrow margins. Port Moody Coquitlam won by less than 350 votes. I think the Liberals have their eyes on that one, as does the NDP. So, again, it's great to see these guys out and about uh, in, in person. And sign that when we do have an election, it's going to be the traditional election campaign. You're going to have leaders' tours. You're going to have campaign rallies and events, unlike the last B.C. election, which basically took place over a computer. Okay, most of the mainstream sort of punditry on this says that the Conservatives are in tough. They're trailing in the polls. It doesn't look like they're able to make a dent on Trudeau, even though he's racked up so many mm-hmm. different scandals. So I asked him just straight up, I mean, how are you going to beat this guy? How do you lay a glove on him if you can't make up these gaps in the opinion polls? And here's what Aaron O'Toole told me. Canada's Conservatives have, have a five-point recovery plan and we're taking issues like climate change and inclusion. That's my approach as a new leader. So when people see that, Mike, we're getting a great response. And part of the reason he wants to go, he doesn't want me to connect with people because they realize there's a smart choice instead of a scandal-plagued liberal government. Uh, oh, oh, so he's saying maybe Trudeau wants to go early before he can start connecting with voters. You buying that? Well, I think there's some truth to what O'Toole had to say, his point that people aren't paying attention in the pandemic. We've made, we've made that point for 16 months. People aren't paying attention to politics in a traditional way. That will change when the campaign starts. What O'Toole, the conservative's problem is not Aaron O'Toole. He's not unpopular, but he's invisible. He's unknown. That's about to change once the election campaign starts because suddenly he will have access to media in a way that he never had before. He's going to be able to put himself in front of the public in a way he's never been able to before. People will be paying attention because, again, we're opening up. We're going back to a sense of normalcy, which will even be more normal by September when conceivably we're in, into a campaign. So this works to O'Toole's advantage. I still don't think, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on them winning. I still think, uh, though, they could deny uh, Trudeau a minority. But I tell you, Trudeau and the Liberals are pretty popular in, in southern Ontario. And I think the Conservatives are paying a price. They, they get some blowback from the Doug Ford unpopularity. They get some blowback from the Jason Kenney unpopularity. 
And I think the NDP gets a bit of a lift in B.C. for the popularity of the provincial government. Okay, well, I, I asked him if uh, tax cuts are on the agenda, and he basically hint said yes. And But I asked him straight up if he would cut taxes for high-income earners because this is this is the one that the Liberals would pounce on if he did bring in, his, let's say, an income tax cut for for the top wage bracket in the country. He said no. He basically said that they would have targeted tax relief for middle class and seniors. Could that get him some traction if he promises tax cuts? Oh, I think the opportunity is there again because I think people are coming back to politics in a way they haven't been before or for 16 months. So that should turn a lot of things on their head, uh, on its head. The Conservatives, though, have gone through a series of elections where they just sort of crested it a certain level of popularity yeah. and they haven't grown. And whether or not that changes this time remains to be seen. But I think they've got their work cut out for them. I think public opinion has shifted against them. The other thing O'Toole's got a problem with is his own base. Um, they're not the true blue conservatives of old, of Brian Mulroney and Joe Clark. This is a different beast right now. There's a, a streak of social conservatism in that party. Uh, Derek Sloan, and, you know, he's not alone there, even though he's been expelled from the caucus, and it's going to be tough for him to keep that in check. Okay, we're going to do, planning to do great coverage on this election when it starts. It's already begun, but uh, unofficially. Let me ask you about a big day here on the emergency response system for British Columbia. We saw during the heat wave, we had hundreds of uh, sudden deaths in the province, people waiting in over an hour to get an ambulance. Sometimes the ambulance doesn't show up at all. We had tragic stories of people literally dying on the steps of a fire hall when they went there desperate for help when an ambulance did not show up. So Health Minister Adrian Dix this afternoon, an announcement on BC's paramedics and emergency response system. What are you anticipating? Yeah, it's at 2 o'clock today. I think there'll be more information shed on the, the sh shift away from the on-call uh, um, policy, $2 an hour, which is just ridiculous. Uh, more resources put into the system, more hires of paramedic, more people being shifted from part-time to full-time. That's going to be the key thing here. Keep in mind the heat wave was not an isolated event necessarily. There, Yes, there was more calls. There was more than 2,000 calls in one day. But you take away the heat wave, this started as a problem before the heat wave. Right. So, there has been a sudden spike and sustained spike in emergency calls, both for ambulances and visits to the emergency room that have nothing to do with heat. And officials can't explain this. They're like, what What accounts for this? And, again, it exposes the fact our system was set up to handle 1,500 calls a day. We're getting 1,900, 1,800 calls a day. That's a big increase on a daily basis, each and every day. It's got nothing to do with heat. It's got, well, perhaps some of it has to do with heat, but there's also other uh, severe forms of illness. I'm told there's more heart attacks, there's more strokes. Why is this happening? And do we have the funding and resources needed to um, to address that? And that's what Adrian Dixon will be talking about today at 2 o'clock. Okay, 2 o'clock this afternoon. We're anticipating that announcement. That's a big one. And already I'm getting some text messages from paramedics I've gotten to know during this story. You said they're looking for two key things. One, they're looking for an immediate injection of resources, funding, or planning right now mm -hmm. in case we get another heat wave or to relieve the pressures that the, this the system is experiencing right now. So will there be an immediate injection of resources into the system to fix some of the problems? And then you've got the longer-term sustainability of the system as well. Like you mentioned, the on-call system mm -hmm. where they pay people two bucks an hour to be on-call. Will that change effective today? So there's two key components, well, right now and long-term as well. I'm not sure what can be done right now. I mean, we're talking about... Well, they can put th some money on the table, can he, to get some of these ambulances on the road? Oh, yeah, yeah, that could happen. But I don't, in terms of personnel, you can't 
can't turn a person into a paramedic overnight. That, that is training. These are professionals, and that's professional training that does not occur in a week. Yeah. You know, it takes some time to become a paramedic. So that's, that's going to have to be a longer-term goal. But you're right. More money, more resources on the table. Get more ambulances on the road um, more often. We've had a number of, am- a number of shifts canceled. A number of ambulances not on the road. So I expect that's going to be addressed today. But again, I'm not sure there's an easy fix out there that's going to address this sudden spike in emergency uh, call, this sudden demand in healthcare services, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, this is, we are now exceeding pre pandemic levels of ambulance calls and emergency room visits. Okay. Let's talk about the World Cup and, uh, of that's soccer. Cheerier. Yeah. And will Vancouver host games? during the 2026 World Cup. So this is a three-nation World Cup, Canada, United States, Mexico. And if you go back to 2018, that's when the Horgan government said very clearly, we don't want the World Cup. Well, we, they told FIFA to take a hike. They said the the deal was too expensive, well, it, and they it, weren't going to do it. Now, yeah. now you got Horgan warming up to it. What's yeah. happening? Uh, it's interesting. They, they rejected it last time because they said FIFA wanted a blank check, yeah. um, and didn't want any rules to apply to them. We just wanted to be you know, the master of everything, and, and the prospect was perhaps this was going to cost a lot of money. FIFA, to my understanding, FIFA still wants a blank check. <laughs> but now the climate seems to change uh, with the Horgan government. I think part of it is I think the, the government's under enormous pressure from the tourism industry on any number of fronts. And I think that's what's driving this. It's tourism. Yeah. It's driving the push to open the border. It's driving perhaps it's a reason why we haven't got a state of emergency declared in B.C., uh, which can affect travel. State of emergency yeah. can suspend travel, can close roads and highways. Uh, I think the tourism industry right across the continent is putting enormous pressure on all levels of government to ensure as much tourism activity as possible. Okay, well, Horgan is certainly singing a different tune on the World Cup right now, and he was asked, uh, what about hosting World Cup games in 2026? Very firmly against it a couple of years ago. Not so much now. Here's what he had to say, John Horgan. Uh, I have had some preliminary discussions with the... um FIFA representatives here in Canada, our tourism sector has been buffeted perhaps more than any other sector over the past uh, 16 months. And the prospect of inviting the world to Vancouver in 2026 all of a sudden takes on a whole new meaning. Okay, it's a real flip-flop, though. I mean, if you go back to the original deal as as it was pitched by FIFA in 2018, and I I wrote about this extensively and talked about it a lot here on the show, too, and FIFA wanted just a number, just a few things they wanted. They wanted two grass, natural grass fields in BC Place mm-hmm. Stadium. Not just one natural grass field, yep. <laughs> but a second one, a backup one that they could wheel in just yep. in case something went wrong with the first Gee, one. That's not expensive. I mean, come <laughs> on, that's like amazing. Like, they also wanted a separate independent power supply yes. for BC Place Stadium, like a separate power grid for the entire stadium. And presumably with all that stuff still on the table. Well, I that's seen, right. I haven't seen any evidence that it's off the table. But again, the pandemic has changed a lot of things. The whole notion of tight-fisted governments, which was, you know, 2018, balance the budget, don't spend money. Now we're running huge deficits, and there's going to be huge deficits for a decade. So the argument about fiscal prudence here uh, is uh, off the table. BC Play Stadium is owned by the provincial government, and it's managed by a, a crown por- corporation called the Pavilion Corporation, yeah, which, known as Pavco. And at the time, when this, when FIFA originally came around, knocking on the door of the BC government, Pavco uh, wrote a risk analysis paper that was leaked. And in that risk analysis, it said, look, the costs on this thing could go exponentially over budget. 
especially for security costs, mm-hmm. which BC would be responsible for. Remember how security went and through the, the roof during the Olympics? The Olympics yep. So I'm I'm just wondering what has changed here for Oregon. Like, well, what's changed it, is balanced budgets are no longer a thing. Yeah. So the fiscal the fiscal concerns that were there in 2018, I don't think are there anymore, on any number of fronts. Whether it's it's FIFA or whether it's a government aid packages, whether it's you know various budgets in the government, you're going to see a big uh, boost in healthcare spending again. Uh, because the notion of balance in the budget is just simply such a foreign concept for a number of years. So FIFA costs a lot of money. Bring it on. All right, Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Tom in Abbotsford. Hi, Tom. Hi there. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I just don't think the Conservatives can, can win. They don't have a platform. And I think they still have a lot of the Harper years hanging over them. But there's no concrete plan that they have i mean sure they can say cut taxes for you know um lower working class canadians but you know back when they were in power they they slashed you know veterans affairs budgets they really went after unions they denied climate change for the longest time and those are the things that the liberals can hammer them on and i just don't think that aaron o'toole is that um appealing in terms of his personality i think that's important Mm -hmm. in politics Okay, thanks for the call. Yeah, one thing that they sort of have going against them is their traditional base is shrinking. As the baby boomer generation, the older generation starts to die off, uh, the biggest generation are the millennials. And the millennials don't vote in the same numbers, but they're starting to vote. And it's interesting, uh, talked to some officials about this uh, this week, as the young people get vaccinated, they have to buy into this vaccination program. So uh, engaging in a public uh, exercise, public duty, like never before. We're at 75% of people in their 20s have been vaccinated in BC, and we're probably we're trying to get to 85%. Uh, does that increase the likelihood, perhaps, of them getting involved in other things, which includes electoral process? Uh, will we see an increase in young people voting? I don't think they're going to vote conservative. Okay, no, I think he's in tough, too. Let's go to Kathy in Delta. Hi, Kathy. Oh, hi there. Hi. Um, about the paramedics, um, yeah. I'm just wondering if we're in a situation where we can't basically handle what we have now um if there was to be something you know very very serious like an earthquake or tsunami or something i mean my god we'd be in such bad shape so why can't we start you know employing people or you know training people now and they say they're trying. Thank you for the call. Well, the government says they're trying to hire they're trying more to recruit. They're trying to recruit, uh, but so are a lot of other jurisdictions. Uh, the pay, you know, is it is it uh, at an appropriate level to attract people? That's one of the arguments paramedics make. It's not. Uh, that The salaries have to be increased. The training spaces have to be increased. Yeah. And, again, the shift, though, from part-time to, to full-time status, that may be a, a key step forward. Let's go to Al on the line in Coquitlam. Hi, Al. Good morning. Uh, this... Uh, on the health care system and the amount of calls coming in, this has been coming down the road for a long time. You've got 10,000 people potentially coming in around Berquitlam Station. The city of Lougheed, which is going to be the biggest this side of wherever, there's going to be about 30,000 people there. You've got umpty more thousand at Brentwood going in, 55-story towers, uh, sure. Oak Ridge. Like, these have got to put stresses on all the infrastructure. And like, I think, just, I think you know, you're absolutely... You're absolutely right. I mean, population is growing, so that creates more stress on the system. It's growing, but it's not exploding. I don't think the population growth necessarily is the answer for this sudden from 1,500 to 1,800 cases uh, a day. So this is every single day. This is not just yeah. once a week. This is like on a, on a sustained basis. 
And it's interesting, health officials are scrambling trying to figure this out. Okay, just a minute left. Benny in Abbotsford. Hey, Benny, you got to go quick. Yeah, I want the federal and the provincial government to live up to their commitments in helping the residents of Lytton. They're left yeah. hanging out to dry, not knowing what, what what's going on, where the help is coming from. This is bloody ridiculous. Thank you, thank you, Benny. Thank you, Benny. I spoke to the local Liberal MLA on the show yeah, this Jackie. morning. Jackie, who's done a good job, by the way, yep. advocating for those people displaced mm-hmm. from that fire. And she was calling for the same thing, more help from these people who've lost their homes. Yeah, and get, get uh, moving on the rebuilding. Now, again, I, I'm not sure that site is completely 100% safe still, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the pressure will be on the government to, to build. And to build Lytton not along the old-fashioned way. Build, use it as an opportunity to explore new types of construction to ensure that Lytton can survive another heat wave and another forest fire.